Good morning. Are the lights on and nobody's home? There you go. Good morning again. Hey, my name's Mark. I'm glad to see you. Glad to see you. And I got to tell you, this has nothing to do with the sermon, but I just can't not give you a weather report. Has this been one of the prettiest falls we've ever had? I mean, I go to the grocery store and the trees are beautiful in the parking lot. It's incredible. I don't know why it's been as pretty and as long as it has, but it's been beautiful to be outside. I hope you've been outside a little bit. I think the rain won't damage it too much. We'll get out there a little bit today. But I'm Mark. I welcome you. Great to be together this weekend. Welcome to all those in Amped and Blend and Roan County and out there in Bearden. We're glad to be together. Glad to be one church looking at one passage of Scripture together. And so you can get there. We'll get there in a minute or two, but you can get to uh, Revelation chapter 15 and 16 in your Revelation journal, your smartphone, or whatever. But before we get there, I want to tell you a little story, a true story. We have two daughters, Terry and I do, and uh, they're, uh, they're 31 and 29, almost 30. They're 14 months apart. And I got to tell you, I was a little surprised when we first had girls because, you know, I, I'm the last of five boys, and I married a woman, and she's a beautiful woman, and I thought our daughters would be much like her, sugar and spice and everything nice. <laughs> Turns out, not so much. And so somebody went boo to me last night. So if you need to boo me, you boo me. But I didn't know that we were going to raise slobs. Our daughters were slobs. They really were. They really were slobs. I mean, I don't know what else you call somebody who leaves every article of clothing they possibly own all over the floor, the furniture. You can't even, when you walk into the room, you can't even see where the furniture is or the carpet is. Worse than that, all these half-drunk drinks all throughout the room, glasses of half-drunk drink. Look, parents are nodding their heads in this room, at least. Maybe they are where you are, too. And beyond that, like, food. Like, we had a couple rules in our house growing up. Hey, you live in our house, Terry and I's house, and in our house, we don't take food upstairs. No food upstairs. So how could there be plates of food, like, for weeks left in your room, like half-eaten pieces of pizza in your room? It's crazy, right? And then beyond that, this is the one, this is the kicker for me. There's damp towels, and I did say damp with a P, but you could read it another way on the floor and on the beds in their room on top of fabric. How can that be? And so I told our girls over and over, not a threat, but a promise. There's going to be a day where I'm not going to tolerate this anymore. It's not going to happen forever. You live in our house, and in our house, we live a certain way. And so it was a Friday morning. It was my day off, and I, I went into the kitchen to get a cup of coffee. I was going to get a bowl of cereal, and there were no bowls. I'm like, Terry, where are the bowls? And she said, well, you probably know where they are. I'm like, What? So I went upstairs, which I try never to do. I went upstairs and I opened Megan's room and it looked pretty good. I mean, the bed was even made. I was like, that's impressive, right? And I opened Emily's room and there was everything I was looking for and more. Every <laughs> single thing I was looking for and more. Food, every, I mean, it was crazy. It was crazy the stuff I found. So the wrath and vengeance of her father that had been promised over and over and over again was delivered on that Friday. I spent the entire day cleaning out that room. When I say cleaning out that room, when she came home at the end of the day, there was nothing but a mattress in the middle of the floor, furniture gone, off the bed, off the whole, just a mattress in the middle of the floor, three old Navy outfits hanging in the closet, and her door off the hinges. And she came down, because this is so unfair. I'm like, I warned you. I, war I, told this, I told you this was coming. And you might think, that's not a very good parenting moment. Maybe not. I don't know. Was it? She's a counselor now. I don't know if she's trying to figure herself out or other people out, but we'll, we'll see how all that works out, right? But, but what was experienced was promised to her. And that's where we find ourselves in a much bigger and grander scale in chapters 15 and 16. The vengeance 
of God. The, the wrath of God has been promised. We've seen through the, the seals, the trumpets, and now he's going to move into this place, this final circle, this final segment of, of the wrath of God being poured out in the seven bowls in chapters 15 and 16. And as we've told you, as we've walked into this study of Revelation, what we're longing to answer is this question. And not just for you, but for ourselves as well. What we're longing to answer is, what do we do with this book? As followers of Jesus, what do we do with this book? And so we've encouraged you week after week not to get pulled into all the specifics and try to figure out all the specific details of the times and places and events, but to look at the big picture. What is this book? If, it, if it's called the Revelation, it's the revelation of what and of who? It's the revelation of Jesus. So in this book of Revelation, what does this reveal to us in a big picture of who Jesus is? And John's vision here from chapter 6 to 16 is a reminder that over and over and over, he's promising that the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God is coming. If you don't turn, you're going to experience the wrath of God. And this weekend, we'll see the third and final set of seven divine judgments, all warnings, all warnings that God's judgment upon sin is coming. And, and, and the plea here is to turn to Jesus. And as we walk away from this weekend, here's the big idea we want you to walk away with. And it's an idea I'm still wrestling with. And it's this. We worship Jesus for both his coming wrath and his available mercy. Let me say it again. We worship Jesus for both his coming wrath and his available mercy. And if that makes you go, huh, it makes me go, huh, as well. We worship Jesus for his coming wrath and available mercy. I, I can't tell you, honest to goodness, that that I've, I've actually worshipped Jesus for his coming wrath. That, that, that's becoming a new concept. You know, you know how sometimes you can teach somebody something that you've done before? You've done it. You know how to do it. You tell somebody how to do it. Like, I taught our girls how to ride a bike. I've ridden a bike. I've taught them how to ride a bike. And here in this study of Revelation, I, I'm not surprised that there's a wrath coming, but that I would worship God for the, the coming wrath, his coming wrath, and his available mercy, that, that's, that's a little bit of a shift and a new concept for me in terms of what and how I see Jesus and how I respond to him in worship. And that's where we're going today. That's where I believe John's taking us today in his recanting and recounting of this vision. In chapters 15 and 16, we're being reminded again of what's happening, what's, what's going to take place. Now, I'm a guy, one of the things I hate in life is redundancy. Redundancy. Don't you? Well, maybe you don't. I hate redundancy. Maybe there's a handful of you that do as well. And and yet I hate when someone's telling me a story for the second or third time and i got to pretend like I haven't heard it before. I hate that so much that I think I'm doing it. Like, after you cross 60, you don't know if you're doing it or not. Like, am I that guy? I don't know. So I say this a lot. People say, stop saying this. I'm like, if I've told you this, stop me. No one has stopped me, so I'm assuming they're either being polite or I'm just repeating myself, right? I hate redundancy. I hate to tell a child over and over and over again, you don't put damp towels on the floor. You don't put them on the floor. Redundancy wears me flat out. And yet here's what I need. Here's what we need. Here's what we all need is the reminder again and again and again that the wrath of God is coming and it's time to turn. God calls us back. He calls us over and over and over again. And there's this, this series of judgments that's taking place. This is the third round. Talk about redundant. He's getting into seven bowls of wrath after he's talked about seals and trumpets. And he wants us to know that the wrath of God is coming and there's still time to turn. There's still time to, to experience his mercy. And there's a shift that happens here in chapters 15 and 16. If you've, if you've been with us in this study, as we looked at the, the seals, the, the, the judgment through the seals, there was worship that followed that. As you look at the trumpets and the, those promised 
um, judgments that would come through the trumpets. Um, there was worship that followed that. And yet here, when I was sitting in this and hunkering down in this passage, I, I realized that, that the worship wasn't going to follow the seven bowls of wrath, but it was going to precede it. And here's a culmination of God's wrath about to be poured out where worship precedes this judgment. And, and worship's a major part of the book of Revelation. You can't get through this book. Every knee's going to bow. Every tongue's going to profess that what? Jesus Christ is the Lord. Worship's a big part of it. Worship's a big part of our relationship with God from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. It's a part of who we are as God's people. We're called to worship. And worship is based on all of who God is. We talked about this in week two of the series. Worship is based on all of who God is, not just the things I like to cherry pick. You know, when I bow my head and I want to worship or I'm lifting up my heart and my life before Jesus, I pick the things that I think are pretty valuable to me. And, and that's good. That's fine. Those are the things I know to be true. And yet, as we study this book, God's taking me, taking us further and further into an understanding and the revelation of who Jesus is, that he's to be worshiped for all of who he is. All of who he is. Nobody's all one thing. Have you noticed that? Like, sometimes I think we categorize people. We, we get these boxes, and we probably have them of God, too. Like, hey, we, 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 we understand somebody to be this or that. There's a guy in my life. And without fail, I look for it every time we have a conversation, every time, whether it's verbal conversation, text, communication, email, whatever. He can't help but end the conversation with something negative. There's always a slant. Yeah, but, well, you know, if. You, uh, it, it, there's always something negative. It's like Eeyore, right? Like, uh, like seriously, that, that's, and, and, and when I think about this guy, really, when I th I'm thinking about him right now, that's what I think about. Truth is, he's not all of that. There's more to him than that. I would hope and assume. He's got a great job. People love him. He gets applauded at his, at his, at his place of, of work, and people love what he does. And so I'm assuming there's more to him than what I think there is. And, and the same thing is true of Jesus. No matter how much you think you know about Jesus, there's more for you to know. The same principle applies. I guarantee you this, that there's more to know about Jesus than we think or imagine. There's more for us to know. There's more for us to, to understand and, and respond and worship to the call to worship God for who he is requires us to embrace the tension between this mercy and wrath found here in the book of Revelation and really throughout the, the entire scriptures. His, mer his mercy and his wrath, they're inseparable. They're intertwined. So let's jump into to chapter 15, and, and I want you to see what, what we've seen as we've studied this passage. Then I saw another sign in heaven. Great and amazing. Seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. You ever wonder, like people thought, oh, when I get to heaven one day, we're just going to play harps forever. I thought, where did they get that from? Turns out, Scripture. <laughs> And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. And after this, I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witnesses of witness in heaven was opened. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues clothed in pure bright linen with golden sashes around their chests. 
And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the sanctuary was filled with smoke, and from the glory of God and from his power, no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Do you get a sense of the wrath of God getting ready to be poured out? All those who conquered the beast were gathered. All those who had conquered him were gathered around this beautiful picture, this, 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 this lake of glass with fire, broken glass and fire all over it. Worship is our response to who Jesus is. It's, it's, an, inward, it's an inward expression, outward expression of, of an inward reality, right? There's an, there's an outward expression. When I know something to be true, there's this outward expression. Worship should come from within some reality that we know to be true about who God is. We talked about worship a couple weeks ago and gave you a definition, and here's the definition we laid before you. Worship is the reverential response of creation to the all-encompassing magnificence of God. Worship is the reverential response of creation to all the encompassing magnificence of God. Worship is our response to all of who God is. It's seeing and understanding who he is and responding accordingly. And yet, Coming to an even greater grasp, none of us have a full picture of, of who Jesus is. And so day after day, we come to a greater understanding and a, and a greater grasp of who Jesus is, and therefore able to worship him in a greater, in a greater sense. And as a church, folks, you need to know, we're, if, you, if you haven't picked this up already, we're, we're committed. We're committed to worshiping Jesus for who he is. We're committed to worship, worshiping Jesus in spirit and in truth. And to know the truth about who he is, you've got to know who he is. How do I know who he is? Well, he tells us who he is right here in his word. Worship should well up within the follower of a believer from what we know to be true of who God is. And it's here in these opening verses of chapter 15, John gives us this beautiful picture of, of the magnificence of God. They all celebrated around the reality of this, this lake, this lake of fire that was, um, looked like glass and fire all mingled together. And those who were conquering the beast celebrated the reality that, that Jesus was who he says he is a spectacular sight and splendor of the majesty of God. And, and they sing this song. It says, they sung the song of Moses and of the Lamb. What does that mean? What was the song of Moses? All throughout the writings of Moses, you see this song that they were singing. It was, it was a song of deliverance. At the core of both of these songs, the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb, is this idea of deliverance. It's this idea of exodus. We see it all throughout Moses' writings. Both God's wrath and his mercy, mercy experienced simultaneously within the same context. When, when the people of Israel were delivered out of Egypt and they were crossing the Red Sea, this story should be familiar to many of us, right? What, what, what took place? The Red Sea opened. God's people passed through. The armies from Egypt came back after them. They were in the, in the, in the, the Red Sea itself. And what happened? The, the waters imploded and they were destroyed. It was God's wrath on the enemy while God's mercy was being experienced on the shoreline with his people. It was, it was a song of deliverance. It was their exodus. That was the song of Moses. The song of the Lamb is our exodus. Jesus himself experiencing the wrath from his Father on the cross bled out for you and for me, that we would have a relationship with him, that, that all of our sins, all the things that we stood in, in disobedience before God were taken care of, and he took on the wrath of God so that we could experience the mercy of God. Our exodus, a song of deliverance. Our worship emerges from these very same truths. It's, it's interconnected. You can't look at the mercy of God without looking and embracing the, the wrath of God. And here in the text, they were singing before <clears throat> the Almighty, and they said, Amazing are your deeds. 
You're the almighty, just and true are your ways. You're the king of the nations. You alone are holy. And we've seen this holy, holy, holy three times over. All nations will come and worship you. Your righteous acts have been revealed. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will profess that Jesus Christ is king. That's happening. That's going to take place. And so it leaves, it leaves humanity with this obvious choice. It's either the way of God or it's the way of Babylon that we've talked about a little while ago. It's, it's choosing to walk with God or choosing not to walk with God. There's no middle ground. There's no middle ground. When, when, when that role is called up yonder, you're either there or you're not. You're either in the book or you're not in the book. And there's a decision humanity has to make whether you're, you're going to follow the Lamb, you're going to sing the song of deliverance, you're going to actually accept what Jesus has done for you on the cross and step into life with him, or you'll, you'll live and experience the wrath of God, life apart from him, for all of eternity. I was on the phone with a friend of mine. I feel like I had this conversation with some friend once a month. So if you think I've told the story again, this is another story, same conversation. Another person, same conversation. They go, Mark, seriously, are you, are you telling me it's that specific? you telling me that you have to claim in the name of Jesus to be saved? That's the only way that you're either in or out? Yeah, it's not my idea. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That wasn't a suggestion. That was him saying, no one comes to the Father except through me. And my buddy responded like I thought he would. He said, man, that seems pretty narrow-minded. Well, Jesus has something to say about narrow-mindedness, too. He goes, yep, that's exactly right. Narrow is the gate. Narrow is the gate. It's a very narrow gate. Wide is the gate that leads to destruction. Many are going to be on that. Few will find the narrow gate. This is not Mark's words, Two Rivers Church words. This is the word of God. This is Jesus himself saying, yes, it seems narrow-minded. It seems very specific. But here's the deal. It is. It is. There's a choice that everyone has to make. Every one of us has to make. Humanity must make. And yet there's this beautiful picture that takes place as we hunker into this passage. There's this implication for all of us that, that we're either going to worship the Lamb or we're not going to worship, worship the Lamb. We wrestle with the, the reality that we, we really do um, live in a space and, and a time when mercy is still being, still being available, made available for us. There's an implication for all of us to worship. There's an implication for all of us to, to actually be in, in relationship with him. Is it fair? Is it fair that there's, there's the way is that specific? My buddy thinks not. Emily sure didn't think it was fair when wrath was poured out on her. From her perspective, it didn't seem fair at all. From my buddy's perspective, it doesn't seem fair at all. I wonder what, what the word fair means to Jesus. Is that a fair question? Is it a fair question? You mean to tell me you, you, you think I'm narrow-minded because I've given my very lifeblood to rescue you? I was the perfect lamb of God. I, I spilt my blood to save you from the wrath of God, and you're choosing to go another direction? Is that fair? Fair is not even the right word. It's not even in the ballpark. And yet we're called to worship him for all of who he is, all of who he is. And I wrestle with um, this reality um, that we're to be a people that, that really worship the Lord in spirit and truth. How can you worship the Lord in spirit and truth if you don't know what the truth is? 
If you don't know what the truth is, if you, if you don't know what God says about himself, how can you worship him in, in a real and genuine way? And as we read this worship song, we're reminded of the truth that every one of us has to wrestle with, that there's this justice and mercy that are intertwined. God's justice and mercy work together. These seven bowls of judgment are, are a reminder to us that, that wrath is coming. In chapter 16, verse 1, he says, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. Go and do this thing. Go and do this thing. The seven bowls of God's judgment are going to be poured out. And we live in a time where God's available mercy is still there for us. That's the space in which we live right now. God's mercy is still available. It's clear. God's final wrath is coming, but the time is coming when God's mercy will not be available any, any longer. And what follows again is this reflection and, and, a, and a throwback to what took place in the, in the Exodus, that God sent plague after plague after plague so that folks would turn and give their heart to him. He wasn't trying to destroy people. He was trying to capture, capture the heart of people by, by allowing them to experience the consequences of their disobedience. And here in these, these seven bowls we see, the first five bowls are unleashed, and we see plagues of sores and blood and fire, scorching sun and darkness. And the response from the people of God is the same. They, they, do, not turn to, they do not turn to Christ. They do not turn to Jesus. They fail to turn to him. It says, the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was uh, plunged into darkness. Here the evil one himself is being destroyed. People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. And yet they did not repent of their deeds. They still didn't turn. They still didn't turn back. And this we know from the scriptures and from life's experience is a pattern in humanity, is it not? We're all that way. We're all wired that way. I hope you've turned and given your life to Jesus. And as you've turned and given your life to Jesus, wouldn't it have been wonderful in that very moment? For me, it was 1968 or 69. If there was no more part of me that wanted to do my own thing or go my own way. I'd have had such a better last 50-some years had I not struggled with still wanting to do things my way. That's who we are. That's how we're wired. That's humanity's wired. We're wired that way. Pharaoh was wired that way. He was obstinate. He wanted to do it his way. He kept, he kept being tempted to turn, then did turn, then turned back. He's like, I don't want it. I want to do it my way. I'm either going to sing my song or I'm going to sing the song of the Lamb. He chose to sing his own song. We want to do it our way. Right? Children. How many of you have little kids? Right? Little kids. My mom said, don't touch the, the burner because why? You're going to get burned. What did I do? I touched the burner. I had big burn marks on my hand for a while. I was a pistol growing up, right? I want to do it my way. We find ourselves in that same spot. We find ourselves oftentimes in that same spent. That, that, that's our bent. Our nature is to do that. And yet here's the beauty of, of God's nature. God's nature again and again and again, is, is bent toward us. He's chasing us down. God's nature and his character is to pursue us, to chase us down, to reveal his great love for us, even while we're running in disobedience to him. Now, I don't know how you're wired, but if I chase you down once or twice, third time, you don't respond. I'm not doing this to you. Here's what I'm doing to you, right? 
That, that's, my, that's my nature. That's our nature. You know the nature of God? Chasing us down, even while I was yet sinning and in disobedience to him, Christ pursued me. Christ died for me. Christ does this, chasing me down over and over and over again. This redundancy of these plagues over and over and over again is God chasing us down, wanting us to see the emptiness and, and the futility of what we put life in and saying, I want you to experience life, life in me, life to the full, chasing us down. And yet we see from the scriptures there's still folks who fail to turn. But even if folks don't want God's mercy, God's mercy is still available. Folks, God's mercy is still available. There's folks out there that I know you're wishing and praying for that God would, would circle up and, and actually draw the wagons around them that they'd come to faith in Christ. I'm praying for those people too. Back, in, back I think it was a year or so ago, at a sermon meeting, we came up with this whole idea of a three-by-five card. If you don't know what that is, we just ask God to give us three to, three to five names of people who don't yet know him, that we could be praying for them to come to Christ. God, God is moving and stirring in our prayers, and I believe is, is responding and, and answering those prayers and, and orchestrating events in people's lives that we've been praying for so that they could see his great mercy. And they would turn. And yet, Folks may not turn. He won't force that decision. No matter how hard I pray, I can pray that God's going to save this specific guy in my prayer card, on my three-by-five card. God will not force his decision because that violates the, the whole idea and, and grasp of relationship that he's inviting us into. And yet folks still turn away. The guy specifically, this breaks my heart, on my three-by-five card, I've been praying for him since we started this whole thing. And about eight months ago, he imploded. I mean, imploded. He had some addictions that caught up with him. I mean, he imploded. Everything came undone. And I thought, as hard as it was to watch, and it was horrible to watch, you know, nobody wants to see anyone's life hit the tank, right? I mean, it was just hard to watch. And yet, at the same time, I thought, God, is this you? Are you allowing him to come to the end of himself so he can finally give himself and see that, that your grace and your mercy are available even now for him? And I wish I could tell you the end of the story at this point is not a happy ending. I feel like looking back now, he's just exchanged a handful of addictions for a new handful of addictions and still lost. As much as he's seen and experienced the grace and the kindness of God, because God is answering prayer, God is revealing himself to him. I've seen it over and over and over again through circumstances, relationships, people, that God has ex ex exposed who he is to this guy, and yet he still has failed to turn. And yet God's mercy is still available. And here's how I know that. Several times over in our text, several times over it says, and they failed to turn, they failed to turn, they failed to turn, they failed to turn. Well, you know what that says to me? It means they could. There's a possibility that they could. The fact that he's getting plague after plague, and he says they haven't turned their hearts, even after they've, they've experienced the circumstances of their own willful disobedience, they failed to turn, which means they can Wide is the path that leads to destruction, but few find the gate that leads to life. Few will turn. So if you're praying for somebody and you just see, like, I'm seeing, like, it feels like it's getting further and further away. There's still, there's still space. There's still time. God's mercy is still available. God's mercy is still available. And as this vision moves from the fifth bowl to the sixth bowl, we read this. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet, a demonic trinity right there, three unclean spirits like frogs, for they were demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings, to the whole world, to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. And this is Jesus speaking. Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, 
that he may not go about naked and be exposed. And they assembled them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. Another term that probably we've heard before, Armageddon. They, they circled up there to actually engage in this war of the world. The stage is being set. We see that in the days we live, that God's mercy is still available, but the day will come, the day will come when that day will be no longer, where God's mercy will no longer be available. At the end of chapter 16, it points to this future battle that's about to take place. And it's interesting to me that, that in a plague that God delivers upon the world, that God's going to deliver upon the world, he dries up the river Euphrates, taking away their water source from them. But not only was he taking away their water source, Jesus was saying this, I'm going to prepare a way for the kings of the, the nations, the world, to make their way to Armageddon. There, there's a symbolic principle that's here. Jesus is saying, you want me? You want to have a battle with me? Let me make it easier for you to get here. And this place he's created is, is called Armageddon. It's a real place. It's a place where a lot of battles have taken place. All throughout the Old Testament, you'll see battles there. It's called the Valley of Megiddo. I've been there. I've looked at that valley. It's actually a beautiful sight today, maybe not during wartime, but it's a beautiful sight. Is that the place where the final war of, war, of the world is going to take place? Perhaps but as I look at it, I'm just a man. It doesn't look large enough. The, the platform, the stage doesn't look large enough for the, the worlds and the nations of the world, the armies of the worlds to gather in this space and in this place to, to actually experience this final war and the final day of the Lord that Jesus has coming. As much as John's vision um, is, is symbolic, I, I believe a lot of the symbolism is here as well. Grant Osborne, a, a scholar that we've relied on heavily, he says this, the message in the name Armageddon would be that all who stand against God will mourn as they face God's wrath. It stands for the assembly of all of the sinful nations arrayed against God and his people as they come together in defiance to make war against God and the Lamb. There's going to be a day when, when the war will take place, when God will, will allow the nations of the world to come against him. The battle will be both physical and spiritual as Jesus executes his wrath and his mercy worldwide, working itself out together. And there's a time when God's judgment culminates. Chapter 16, verses 17 through 21. While we live in the days of God's mercy being available, there's, there's going to be that final bowl, that seventh bowl that's poured out, and, and there'll be no more time, no more space to make a decision or choice. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. It's finished. Does that sound familiar? And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon. Remember the significance of Babylon? All, that, all of evil that stood against God. God remembered Babylon, Babylon the great, to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found and great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on the people, and they cursed God for the plague of the hail because the plague was so severe. At the end of the segment, it says again, and yet folks did not turn, they did not repent. So often when we think of God's mercy, we get excited about it. We think about God's wrath. We, we don't oftentimes see them working hand in hand. We don't see them working together. And yet, I believe they're intermingled so much so that you can't separate them. Jesus' mercy is meaningless without the wrath of judgment. It's meaningless. Jesus' mercy is meaningless. He took on the wrath of all of our sin, the sin of the entire world. 
Why? So he could show us his great mercy. It, it, when you understand the wrath of God and what our sins deserved, what we deserve, Jesus took it on. I remember, kind of lighting up the moment for a second. I remember my kids were small. I've told this story years ago. My girls were kind of entitled. I guess I'm picking on them a lot today, aren't I? <laughs> and uh, I forget what it was. I think it was ice cream after school or whatever. And said, we deserve that. We deserve it. I'm like, I just looked back to the back seat and them both sitting in the back seat of the car, the minivan. I said, you know what you deserve? You deserve hell. <laughs> Another great parenting moment from Mark. So. <laughs> and they were eight and, eight and nine or nine and ten or whatever, and they just like... <laughs> but it was, an it was an opportunity to, to, to actually give them the gospel. Like, yeah, you deserve hell. But God offers you his mercy. I did get him some ice cream that day. <laughs> I had to make up somehow. And yet... Often we think of God's mercy and his wrath as separate. They're not. We don't get what we deserve. We deserve the wrath of God. I deserve the wrath of God. I've received his mercy. You've received his mercy. And when it comes to worshiping Jesus, it's obvious that we would worship him for his mercy and his love, but it's a little more confusing, I'll be honest with you, even for me right now, to worship him for his wrath for his coming wrath, that pending wrath that's coming. And yet, as you look at the scriptures, if we're really going to read Revelation as a revelation of who Jesus is, we've got to be a people who respond to who the word says he is. We are word-dependent people. We're going to respond to who Jesus, who we're told Jesus is from the very word of God itself, and then respond accordingly. That's what God's calling us to. We see throughout this book of Revelation the worship of Jesus because he'll judge the world. And it may seem counterintuitive to you, but the final judgment is reason for worship. The final judgment, what's coming, is reason for worship. And I tell you, I'll tell you, I feel conflicted about that. On one hand, I can't wait. You know what's going to be the best about what if we go to heaven first or this final judgment takes place? There'll be no more battle with this independent thing I got going on with me, right? No more battle with sin. That's going to be great. And what also excites me is that all the injustices of the world will finally be made right. There's a lot of things in this world, in my life, your life, lives around us, that are finally going to be made right. And I'm excited about that. I can worship that. But what gets me at my heart, and I don't fully understand and grasp, and I'm not there yet, is that there's going to be a lot of people, when, when, when this is divided, they're either singing the song of the Lamb or the song of Babylon. There's going to be people that are singing the song of Babylon that I love and care about a whole lot, that I'm praying for, that I'm longing for. And there's some part of that, when I, when, when I wrap my mind around worshiping Jesus for who he is, there, there's a wrath that's going to be unfolded that's his rightful choice. And I have to come to a place where I trust that Jesus is who he says he is, that he can be trusted, that he'll always do the right thing. We worship Jesus because he'll bring justice to the world that is filled with injustice. All wrongs will be made right. And so maybe this has gotten in your grill a little bit today like it's in mine. I hope it is. I hope it does. Because I believe God's calling us to a deeper and greater understanding. None of us were given full knowledge of everything about Jesus the day we walked in a relationship with him. But we're, we're, we're people who are continuing to grow and understand who he is so we can worship accordingly. So this week, don't hear this as white noise because you hear it every week. Next steps, live it out. Live it out. What does it mean to live it out? It, it means there's a segment in our bulletin that we've created for you that you can actually walk through the passage that we've just unfolded a bit and ask some deeper and harder questions. Be, be people who are students of the word. Let me get real honest with you right now. You know, I, I love the word devotions. I have devotions. A lot of you have devotions. And sometimes we think about devotions, we think about going to the word, getting some kind of thought for the day that will help me make it through my day. 
that God will encourage me. And that's good. That's fine. I'm not, please don't hear me crushing that. But what would it look like if, if, we just, if we just turned the dial slightly and tweaked that a little bit? What if we went to the Word of God and said, Jesus, reveal to me who you say you are and allow me to act accordingly and worship you accordingly about to that in this day so that my life would be encouraged? I, I, I think we'd get to the same place, but I wonder if we'd, we'd enter into a space where we're actually responding to who he is, not what we want him to be, not cherry-picking what we need from him, but actually receiving what he wants to give us and allowing that to infiltrate every part of our lives. Folks, we, we have four core values at Two Rivers Church, unapologetically. We're word-dependent people. One of them is word-dependent people. We depend upon the Word of God. I can't know how to worship God unless I look and understand who He says He is, what He says about Himself. So if you want to worship God, you want to worship God for all of who He is, get into the mix with us. Live it out. Pull that section out of your bulletin. It's not just a suggestion or for growth groups. It's for us as a church that we'd be a, a church who is continuing to dig deeper, to move deeper into the reality of who God is and who he says about himself in the word. So live it out. The second thing is this, and I hope you hear this. Um, I'm coming down a step for this one. <laughs> Folks, if you've never given your heart to Jesus, if you've never done that, if you've never turned, if you've never decided to sing the song of the Lamb, as, as complicated and as confusing sometimes as that is, this is your moment. This is the time. I'm not trying to scare you into heaven, but the day's coming when that's not going to be an option for you any longer. Mercy is available. Mercy is available for you right now. And for you in, uh, in the other venues, for you out in Roan County and Bearden, mercy is available for us right now. Many of you have shown up in church week after week after week, and we think you're believers. We think you're followers. I don't know. I don't know for sure. I don't know every one of you individually. I pray that you're not just showing up at church every weekend and thinking that that's going to move you to a place of salvation. Salvation comes from those who call on the name of the Lord, who, who, who sing the song of the Lamb. And it's as simple as this. It's saying, Jesus, I'm going my own way. I got a bent for independence. I want to do it my way. And what I'm hearing today, not from this man in the front of the room in a plaid shirt, but what I'm hearing from the Holy Spirit is that there's something else that you've got for me. That the things that I'm putting and finding life in are not coming up. They're not delivering for me. There's got to be a better way. There's got to be more. And I believe today that it's you. It's starting a relationship with Jesus. The prayer itself doesn't save you, but the prayer and the acknowledgement of stepping into a relationship with him is what saves you. And that we would walk in a space and a place where we'd be a people who are following and turning to Jesus and have turned to Jesus. So I don't know what it's going to take. I'm begging you. It would break my heart to get to glory one day. And, and not see some of you there. And know that we'd, we'd missed our opportunity. You'd missed your opportunity. God's calling you to a place of turning, a place of repentance while there's still time. And there's a whole bunch of us in this room and in the other rooms gathered today where this is also true. You've turned, and yet um, you've gone back some old ways. There's some old things that are, that are sneaking up on you and... Um, You've kind of told yourself, I think I, can, I think I can walk in both places. I think I can walk with God and still do my own thing. And, and how's that working for you? Like, like it did for me several times, it's, I don't know, it was 20, 30 years ago. I feel like I was walking in two spaces, and, and eventually my life imploded. You can't do that. It, it's, it's not possible. I can't sing the song of Babylon and the song of the Lamb. It, it's, those worlds don't mingle. Some of you need to return. You need to return. That, that distance you feel right now in your relationship with God, 
I just don't feel him. I don't don't sense he's with me. He's allowing you to feel that distance, that your, your sin and your turning from him and your rebellion from him has brought consequences of this distance with him. He's not left you or forsaken you, but he wants you to feel that distance so that you feel it and be brought back and drawn back to him. I don't know what it's going to take for you, but there's nothing you've done. There's no place you've gone that's too far that you can't return. And so for us as followers of Jesus, we want to be people who are calling the world to turn to him and and living a life that's returning to him day in and day out, daily repenting, daily rejoicing. And the third is my plea for you this week. I, I hope you'll pull out chapter 15 and 16 and wrestle with it. If, if, if it feels confusing to you, good, it's confusing. But here's what we have. We have the Holy Spirit who can bring clarity, who actually illuminates the Word of God and allows us to understand the Word of God in ways that we can't get there on our own. How, we, how do we worship a God for both mercy, mercy and wrath? I pray you'll wrestle with that this week. In fact, before we even get into the week, let, let's just pause for a moment now. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads here and across all our venues. Jesus, this is a complicated um, thought that we're to, we're to worship you for both your wrath and your mercy. The mercy part we get, oh, we, uh, we swim in that. We love you for that. And yet the wrath piece, that's a, tough, that's a tough one to swallow. Help us, God, by your very spirit. Speak to us right now. Where are the places in my life where I need to make alignment with who you say you are? Speak to us right now. Holy Spirit, would you allow this um, fuller picture of who you are, who you are, Jesus, to settle into our minds and our hearts and cause us to worship in a new and a fresh way. Jesus, we say together with the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb, Jesus, amazing are your deeds. Jesus, you are the Almighty. Jesus, just and true are your ways. Jesus, you are the King of the nations. Jesus, you are holy. Jesus, all nations will come to you and worship you. Every knee will profess. Every knee will bow down. Every tongue will profess that you are Lord. It's in, it's in your precious and holy, holy name we pray. Amen? Amen. Hey, across all of our venues, let's stand and worship the Almighty.